0: Too seriously, we do take God very seriously. And therefore, whenever we gather, we kind of try to make it informal because we want it to be natural, but also within the informality or informality, even, uh, there's a, a real desire to say, actually, we take God very, very seriously. I want to give time to Him. Now, if you're new around here, we're in a series uh, where we're working through uh, the book and letter of Ephesians written by Paul. And whenever we g- uh, go through a preaching series, we always give a title in order that we can uh, kind of hang all that we're looking at or hook all that we're looking at on a title that helps us understand something. And this series we've entitled uh, Crafted. And that word crafted we've used because what it conveys is whenever you find someone, a craftsman or woman who's sought to make or build or create something, what you find is there's something of them invested in it. They, in a sense, lovingly make something, but they make it for purpose. And what we're discovering through this letter is that Paul wrote it with a heart that was with love, in order that he would create something that was made for purpose. And so it's both true of the letter, but what we're discovering week on week is, it's also a sentiment that God wants us to get hold of. Whether we've centered our lives around Jesus' life, death, and resurrection or not, is that he has created us. And he wants us to understand that he has lovingly made us for purpose. And for those of us who've centered our lives around Jesus, we're beginning to discover more and more what it looks like to be made lovingly for purpose. And maybe for some of us, we're on a journey of discovering more of who this Jesus is. And for you, I think, if you leave with nothing else, please leave this morning, understanding that God has lovingly made you for purpose. Now, that being said, um, We'll get into the book of Ephesians in a moment, but as Gus alluded to, uh, we get to celebrate our birthday today as a church. Now, that's not only something we put inflatables up and kind of go, whoa, it's a genuine sense of excitement of being in this city. And I think when it comes to birthdays, there's a couple of things that go on. One is you celebrate the one whose birthday it is, and I'm going to come on into a moment of how we're going to celebrate. The other is you give gifts. And so I wondered who's come with a present this morning for Oasis Church Because if you haven't, we've got something we'd love to give to you. And so if this is your first round here, or you've not been around for a few weeks, uh, to accompany the series that we're in, uh, looking at Ephesians, we've uh, put together something uh, that we've called a comment, not a commentary, which is basically a devotional book that splits the whole of Ephesians into 39 parts uh, using the message version of the Bible. And in it, it seeks to just provide a a rhythm to life, really, that you can pick it up whenever you want and work through it, where you get to uh, look at something... Read something and consider something uh, that you can spend either a couple of minutes on or half an hour on or however long you want to spend. And I promise you, it will do you good. Um, just so you know, we're totally cool as well with destroying the place. Um, and so it kind of, it's just the way we roll. Um, so if you've never had one of these books, what I'd like to do is a bold thing whilst we put together the room again rather than destroy it. Um, if you put your hand up now, we'd love to give you one of these. So put your hand up. And then you get one. That's the deal. It's not anything hard. You don't have to ever come back either. It's not like you have this and you have to say, "Oh, I've signed up now." No. Literally, we want to give you something, no strings attached, apart from if you could possibly look at it once. That's it. So put your hand up. You get a free book. In terms of the other element, then, of celebrating in a birthday, is you celebrate the one whose birthday it is. Now, in this, often when it gets to this point in our calendar. We use this as a moment to kind of celebrate something about our journey so far. And if you like, Gus has already hinted at this, our journey in terms of starting in a lounge in Mosley, 18 of us, through to what's happened now. And I spend time kind of looking and reminiscing and saying, man, look at everything God's done. However, I believe today we need to look at it slightly differently. I believe we need to do that one out of the passage we're going to be looking at in Ephesians. But two, because I think this is something that God wants us to get hold of as a community, as a church. But also, if, you, if this is like your first time here and you're thinking, well, I don't know if I'm ever going to get to be around this again. Well, I hope you'll still get something from it because I believe God wants to give us a different perspective to live with today. I don't know if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, seven books, uh, often seen as a children's book uh, written by C.S. Lewis or a children's series in it, I, I found personally that the older I get, and though I do look young and with grey hair, I do get older. Um, I, sorry, as an aside, I have my best compliment that someone gave me this morning. They, they talked about one of their friends who came into contact with me, and they said, oh, yeah, um, oh, Adrian, he's, he's the young man with grey hair. And I thought, I'm going to have that. And so I'm actually going to put it up on my wall now. Young man, grey hair. Um, Because not a lot of people know this. I actually dye it. (laughs) I'm jet black. No, I genuinely don't dye my hair. Um, Anyway, where was I? C.S. Lewis. He's far greater than I. C.S. Lewis, he writes this series of books, which I found, personally, the older I get, the better they become to me. And what he did is he used this way of writing, this epic story over seven books, using key characters of our Earth, who came into contact with this fantasy planet. And why he did it is was to reveal something of the bigger story of who God is that's told throughout the whole of the Bible, and also what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And he did it by revealing these truths that if you read the books you start to see. And so God isn't pictured as the God that we see, but rather pictured as a lion called Aslan. And this life called Aslan is continuously impacting this world called Narnia and impacting the lives of these children from Earth who find themselves in Narnia. And you get through these different stories of how Aslan makes a mark on different individual lives. So you get to the very end of the stories, which is in a book called The Last Battle. And at this point, if you've never read them, I'm not about to spoil it for you. But in, it, in The Last Battle, what C.S. Lewis does is he depicts what it looks like for anyone who sends their life on Jesus in terms of the hope we have of an eternity to come. And at the very end of the book, he talks about all of the key characters and how they finally find themselves, whether they were naturally on Earth or in this fantasy planet called Narnia, in Aslan's country, where everything is renewed. And at the very, very end of the story, C.S. Lewis says this, And for us... This the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. There's a truth that I want us to get hold of this morning, that C.S. Lewis penned in a book, that however good, bad, and ugly, and indifferent this life is, we're to live understanding that as we center our lives around Jesus, this life on this earth is literally the cover and the title page what we have to look forward to is a story that yet is yet to be written and this morning i want us to get hold of that story that's yet to be written because i believe as we look at this next bit of Ephesians what we can understand is that paul understood this way before c.s. lewis and he wanted us to understand that we are crafted for eternity that we are those who then, in centering our lives on Jesus, and actually even if we've not, we've actually got something within us that's pulling us to understand that this isn't it. This earth isn't all it's meant to be. To get a hold of something that we were made for much longer than this. We were made forever. And we were made for forever being in us that we would always look for it. And we understand that actually Paul, in getting us to understand that we are crafted for eternity, wants us both to understand it impacts who we are, it impacts how we see, and it then impacts how we live. And so with that in mind, I want us to then turn to Ephesians 1. And we're going to pick up where we have uh, each week for the last couple of weeks, where we're looking at this amazing proclamation by Paul from verse 3, where he just gets carried away. He can't help but get carried away with who God is and how praiseworthy he is. And so we're going to start again in verse 3, though we're going to zoom in uh, for the majority of this morning in terms of verse 7 to 10. This isn't like a song, it's like a symphony. This passage that Paul writes, is like it starts off quietly. And we can think, oh no, no, it surely starts off with a whole kind of orchestra going, praise be. No, it's not. (laughs) Some of you are starting to think, what have I come to? (laughs) Honestly, by the end, you'll realize what it was. Um, But we can think it starts off with praise be, but it doesn't. Paul starts off Quietly. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and it's then, once well, he's got to that bit, the other bits of the orchestra start to come in. So that suddenly we start to get this building. It doesn't come a big boom; it's going to crescendo through. So we get to the next part where suddenly Paul starts to add in and says, "Oh, we've been chosen." It's not just like a, oh, I think I'll choose them today. No, no, this was a chosen before the creation of the whole of the planet, before the creation of the whole of the universe. So that's a chosen, not out of duty, out of love. starts to build. Then get, oh, we're chosen to what? Oh, to be adopted. Not to be just those who kind of hang around the edge of God saying, oh, wow, you're amazing. No, we're those who then get to be part of family. An eternal family that's ever been. We start to get the music that's building and building. So we get to the bits we're going to look at today where Paul starts to pump it up a bit more. And we start to get more of the orchestra coming in to get to this point of what we've been redeemed. And then it gets to the very, very moment of greatest crescendo. Which literally would cause the hairs of our arms to stand on end. Us to suddenly take a breath because of the volume that hits us. He gets to this point and says, oh, this Jesus. Oh, he's going to unify everything. Everything on earth. Everything in the heavenlies. The whole of the universe. And that's all we're going to look at this morning. It's quite exciting, isn't it? I feel quite excited. So where does Paul start? Well, I said he starts off with us. He wants us to understand that in understanding eternity, (laughs) it it causes us to be changed. See, so first of all, starts says, it's about who we are. Paul's desire is that you and I understand that our centering our lives on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection forever changes us. We're no longer defined as we might look to be defined uh, in this world. I'm not defined by the fact that I'm married or the fact that I got a particular job or the fact that I've got three kids. That's not what defines me. The fact that I live in Birmingham in the UK doesn't define me or in the 21st century. Now, what defines me now is the fact that I'm now in Christ. And Paul says, Oh, this definition not only changes the fact you've been chosen, adopted, it also changes the fact we understand that we are redeemed. So in verse 7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Now, for the first hearers, This would have been like unbelievable music there is. If you were a Jew hearing this, you'd become a follower of Jesus. You'd have immediately thought through redemption is just this amazing word. You know it's in your part of your history. You'd have immediately thought back to the people of Israel um, under slavery in Egypt. Totally no power whatsoever to liberate themselves. And yet God rescues them out of slavery, liberates them causes them to be free, gives them a promised land. They knew redemption was this rich word of liberation. If you weren't a Jew, you were then a Gentile, someone who wasn't a Jew. And for you, it would have thought, well, actually, I understand about redemption because you'd understand in terms of the culture you were living in that there were slaves. And either you were a slave or you owned slaves. And as a slave, or if you owned a slave, they were powerless to liberate themselves. They're powerless to live their own lives. They did what you said for them to do. If they were your slave, if you were a slave, you did whatever your master told you to do. And yet what could happen was that someone could intervene and pay for that slave to be redeemed, to be liberated, to be freed. And they could pay for them and say, right now, you're a free person. You're no longer under the ownership of anyone else. You are your own person. Now, for us in the twenty-first century, where we live in a, a country that's democratic, where we live in a nation which has even a bill, a, a law in terms of human rights, we can start thinking, "Well, well I don't need liberation." And yet Paul's really clear and wants us to understand: all of us leave, need liberation. Now, for many of us in this room, we've centered our lives on Jesus, so we know, "Oh, yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm liberated," and yet it's so good to remind ourselves as to why. For some of us, maybe we don't know that. Maybe you were sat here thinking, well, actually, I'm not sure if I agree with this. I don't think I need liberating. I wouldn't say I'm a slave to anything. I wouldn't say I'm I'm controlled or powerless. I have rights. And it pulls really clear here. He says, actually, we've been redeemed, which has meant we've been forgiven of our sin. That's what he says. He says, our redemption has meant forgiveness of sin. Why? Why? Well, Paul, if we use this passage and put another passage and allow that to have a lens over it, allows us to understand why that is so liberating. So if we actually put in and add in Romans 6 verse 23, we find this. Paul writes, for the wages of sin. And sin is that word that describes us living with what we want at the very center of who we are. Sin is that word that describes how we fall short of who God is, who is perfect in love and justice and mercy and kindness. Sin is that word. And says, if we've fallen short of God, which believe me, every single human being has, because none of us are perfect. If we live with ourselves at the centre thinking it's about what I want, actually what that does is it earns you something. There's a wage to it. And the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, Paul wants us to understand that we are a people, if you've sent your life on Jesus, who've been redeemed, redeemed from death to life. And the reality is this isn't a hard sell. I don't have to do an apologetic to convince you about death because there's one thing I can guarantee in this room is that every single one of us is going to die. That's a done deal. I think if anyone stood up and said, no, I don't believe you, we're not going to die. I think we'd all go mm, yeah, I think we can show you some evidence as to why that will happen. See, it's a dundee, we live within a world where there is death. We look around us and we see that in nature stuff doesn't last forever. There's death. You open your fridge and you realise <laughs> particularly some of you were gonna realise who are students, if you do not clear out your fridge, you will work out what happens to things. As they die, they go through a process called decay and they become stenchy and they become very, very liquidy and it will be in the end something that stains the rest of your fridge. And that, if you like, is our story (laughs) in a fridge, (laughs) is that we're those that have this destiny that is death and it's something we're powerless to do anything about. This so, world well, wasn't meant to be like this. You look at the very beginning of the book in Genesis, the Bible, and I say the book, I mean the Bible, not any old book, I'm not talking about the last battle again. So in the Bible, the very beginning Genesis, you find that at the very beginning, God had created out of love everything for life. That was the point, it was always meant to live. It was actually out of humanity's deciding to say, actually God, rather than you be at the center of our lives, we wanna be at the center of it. And then everything broke suddenly at that moment the sentence of death came and it impacted the whole of the universe it was never meant to be that way and god's plan was always that it would not always be that way but the starting point was to deal with us and so we were under the sentence of death death that meant it was a final destiny that we could not escape death that meant it became something that ultimately meant we knew we were going to be separated so nothing we could do about it be separated by, from everyone be separated from god Death that means that we live in fear of it. Do everything we can to patch it up, dye our hair, buy some creams. Watch Channel 5 at 9 o'clock to find out the latest scheme that there is to allow people to freeze their brains to live forever. Because maybe that's the escape. But there isn't because we understand that actually death is something we can't escape and we fear it. And what Jesus does... He comes out of God's grace, his unconditional love and mercy to every single one of us, to the whole of creation. As I live and die, I'll take on the sentence of death. In order that when I rise, resurrected, I can offer life. But life like no other, that anyone who centered their life in Jesus can understand we've been redeemed. We've been taken out of death and placed in Jesus who is life. But life that is eternal. (coughs) Goes on forever. No shelf life. A fridge life that you look at everything and it's as fresh as the day you bought it. That's the life. It means that it's not only eternal. It's also a life that we get to understand that we're forever loved. Loved unconditionally. That we belong to God, whose Father, Son, and Spirit forever. Not as an outsider, but as His. Belonging to Him. That we not only are those that are loved, those who have this eternal life. A life that then means That we can know wholeness. That we can know that there isn't anything to fear. That actually we can rest in the fact that we're known by God and accepted by him forever. And if we get to live in this life fundamentally differently, understanding we are those that are redeemed, redeemed from death into a life that is eternal. So therefore we are crafted for eternity. But the challenge is that we can leave it there. And for some of us at this point, we think, I don't even know if I am. And if I am redeemed, well, for you, I'd say, well, start the exploration to discover, is what I'm saying true? Is Jesus able to deliver on this? For many of us in this room, we would say, oh, no, I've centered my life in Jesus. Therefore, are we those who are living from this place? Are we living understanding we were those who were dead, sentenced to death, under the sentence of death? We've now been liberated to eternal life. Therefore, we get to live forever. And the thing is, if we're living like that, it changes how we see everything. You see, if I was to say to you, I'm doing a building project, I'm gonna buy a house and I'm gonna restore it. And I took you around to start off with, and I take you around the house I'm about to restore, and I'd show you it, and I show the window frames are all rotten, glass windows are broken, the front door's got paint all peeling. Uh, I take you into the house, there's floorboards missing, no carpets anywhere. The walls, there's plaster falling down. The, to- the doors have got woodworm in. I go around and show you the fireplace. They kind of look pretty skanky. You're just thinking, this is a mess. And I say, yeah, I'm going to restore. And so what I do is I, I call you up a month later and say, I've done it. Come round. And you arrive outside the house and you discover this house still has rotten window frames. It still has broken windows. The door is still got paint peeling off it. I open the front door and I take you in. And then you see in the floorboards still have no carpet. There's still floorboards missing. The wall has plaster still falling down. The doors are still wood worm ridden. And then I take you into what could be the lounge, the front room. And there I say, Look at this fireplace. And you look and you think, well, that's a nice fireplace. I've restored everything. The fireplace is done. You'd sit there or stand there because there's nowhere to sit. You'd stand there and think, Adrian, have you not seen the rest of the house? Yes, the fireplace is done. But what about the rest? And the danger is we can live thinking this is how it's meant to be. That yes, we've been redeemed. Yes, we're those that are no longer under death. We're in life we forget there's a bigger story. There's a whole house that needs restoring. And actually what's going to happen is as we understand the story that's been true for us, we then get to understand this bigger story of what God's involved in that actually is about changing the whole of creation. And when we start to understand that and see that, it changes and transforms everything we do and how we live now. And Paul understood that and he wanted us to get hold of it, which is why in verse 9 he says this, he made known to us the mystery of this will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Who here likes to be in the know? Jet? Reese? Just two, two people. I don't believe the rest of you. I know because of who we all are, we all like to be in the know. We kind of like that moment where we know something and we get to tell others about it because they don't know it yet. The amazing thing is here is Paul says, there's this mystery that's been there, that God wants us in being redeemed by him to know and it's a mystery that Paul's going to apply in different ways. A bit later on, in Ephesians, we're going to see he's going to apply it in terms of uh, the uniting of the whole of humanity that can be split into two groups, Jews and not Jews, Gentiles. He says there's no split now. But at this point, what he wants us to understand is there's this mystery that is way bigger than humanity. And he says what it is, is this, is that in Jesus, God has predestined, chosen, ordained the unity to all things in heaven and on earth. That's the big mystery. That's the big story that God is choosing to reveal to us. He wants us to understand that that word unity means that to sum up, to bring total, if like it's a Greek word, that way you'd have um, a sum and you'd have the digits that you were adding up or subtracting underneath and at the top, the answer. The word for that was unity in Greek. So what he's saying is, actually, when you you want to see everything add up, when you want to see everything brought to being, when you want to see everything balanced off, it's found in Jesus. He's able to do everything. And it's this that God wants us to see, because when we start to see this, it does promise you, transform everything. It suddenly allows us to see how we can so limit Jesus. We live in such an individualistic culture where we limit Jesus to just a personal salvation. Jesus can deal with you. No, no, no. Yes, he can do that, but Jesus is way more able than that. Jesus can deal with the whole of creation. Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus can deal with the whole of the universe. That's quite a claim. Maybe God wants to expand our vision sometimes of what we see and believe of him because he isn't like us. A universe that as frail human beings we're still discovering because it seems to still be increasing. And yet Paul, when he writes to the Colossians detailing this same thing about the supremacy of who Jesus is, reveals this amazing truth of what we understand of how everything in the whole of the universe finds its place in Jesus. So if you read the message version translation of Colossians 1, which I absolutely love because what it does is it puts into word pictures what Paul is trying to, which would have been understood in the original Greek that Paul wrote. So in the message it says this, About Jesus, from beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. I don't know how big your Jesus is, but mine's pretty big. And I tell you what, the more and more I contemplate the risen Jesus, the more and more I realize the full impact of his life, his death and resurrection, that one day God has ordained will be fully revealed That's gonna bring harmony, unity, sum up everything in it, in the whole of the universe, because Jesus has enough room to do that. It suddenly changes the Jesus I wanna worship, who, yes, has transformed me as an individual, but boy, he's much bigger than that. He's gonna transform the whole of the universe. Maybe you're gonna. I find that quite exciting personally. It kind of gets me out of bed thinking. That's someone to really worship. That's someone to really praise. That's someone really to say, actually, I want you to be at the center of your life, my life because there's no one else like you. I want you to shape everything. And the thing is, we can start to think, well, Jesus has done that. But what does it look like? See, God in his grace and his mercy paints these vivid pictures of what it looks like for Jesus to bring unity to everything. What it will look like when Jesus sums up everything. When everything's restored to how as meant to always be in God so you get these pictures that are an invitation to come and see. It's like a gallery moment. We talked about this a couple of weeks back, but in a gallery, there's two ways you go around. One is that you just walk around saying, that's a nice picture, 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 tick down that gallery, next gallery, nice picture, nice picture, nice picture, nice picture, nice picture, next gallery. That's not how you do galleries. You do a gallery because they put benches there. The benches there aren't arty. It isn't like, cool, that's quite a nice installation. No, it's there practically to sit on. So you sit on the bench and look at the painting and absorb it and allow yourself to look at that painting and allow the depth of it to come in. And God is the best painter that's ever lived and ever will live. Who paints these vivid pictures through Scripture to allow us to understand what it looks like when He finally gets this world as it's meant to be? As He finds in Isaiah 65, He paints the first picture way before Jesus even arrives. Says, "Oh yeah, we could do this whole thing." Isaiah 53 onwards, the promise of Jesus. Jesus comes, and through Him, changing everything. So He gets to Isaiah 65. is suddenly a promise of what it will look like. When Jesus gets everything as it's meant to be, he says, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. When it says Jerusalem, it doesn't mean the physical place in the east. It's talking about God's city. Uh, we're not into that. Um, to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in in it an infant who lives but a few days. God paints this picture and says, this this isn't how it's always going to be. Suffering, that's not how it's always going to be. One day I'm going to change it all. Now we're going to (laughs) rush through these scriptures. Why? Because... I want you to go away and read them for yourself and spend time sitting and looking at them because this is what I do. I just spend time loads looking at these because it allows me to see what God's going to do ultimately because then, as we'll see, it'll change everything that I do now. Next one, Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. for The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great uh, street of the city, on each side side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Take a breath. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Sometimes we get lazy on this stuff, and we think, oh, yeah, I'm redeemed. I get. I have life. I've got no longer death. I don't need to worry about death. Death has lost its sting. I now have eternal life. And we leave it there. I'll go tell everyone else. I've got eternal life. No, no. We've been crafted so we start to look at what eternal life will look like. So it starts to change who we are now. The more and more we look at this stuff, the more we realize we've got a hope to live for. This world isn't how it's always going to be. There are some times where I kind of pull my hair out, literally, because I look and I watch the news and it is oppressive. I look and just think it's not right people have to flee their nations. It's not right that we don't open our doors. It's not right that I'm so self-centered that I'm more bothered about the fact what type of bread I'm buying rather than the fact that some people don't have bread. There are moments where I have to take a step, breathe in and say, Jesus, I know that this isn't how you meant it to be. And one day it won't be. And I get to look and see what it will be like one day, which gives me hope for the now. See, this isn't stuff that we're not meant to understand, it's stuff that we have to contemplate and grapple with. God has given you, God has given me imagination. I don't know if you knew that. He gave you imagination, he gave you imagination so you could use it. So often we're told, oh, don't imagine, crush it. You know, you don't, especially once you become a follower of Jesus, don't use your imagination. No, I'll tell you how to think. No, 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 God gave you an imagination in order you could start to understand. i tell you what's true about God is this. You can't out-imagine him. It says in Scripture that he can do way more we can, than we can ask or imagine. Therefore, he's inviting us as we read Scripture to say, imagine what that will be like. It doesn't mean, so I imagine that. And I think, names on foreheads, Tattoos. Is that what say? No, it's a figurative moment of saying, do you know what? It's going to be as though there's a tattoo on my forehead saying, "God!" Because that's how deep I'm going to understand I now belong to him. There's never going to be a quavering or wondering, am I God's? No, I know I'm God's. I'm his. He's labelled me. Just as my shirt tells you it's from somewhere, can't remember where. <laughs> Probably um, a cheap shop. And so it's from that shop. God's going to label me and says, you're mine. That's what it says. My destiny is that I will one day be labeled in a way I'll know from the very deep and core of my being that I'm his forever, forever loved. Loved with a love that I fully experience finally. A love that's been there before the creation of anything. And I've known love. I've known something through the spirit of God's love. I've known something humanly of love. I'm married to someone called Lucy. I've known something of her love. What would it look like to finally come face to face with eternal love? I get invited. Imagine, Adrian. Imagine what that's going to be like. Imagine what it will look like when this earth is fully restored to something that is gloriously life-giving. Man, this is like an earth that's just dying. John Piper talks about this and says... When we understand what God's going to do, it's going to be like the chrysalis to a butterfly. That this earth in its most beautiful moments is like a chrysalis. That one day it will be like a butterfly. I get to imagine that. Imagine a world where there's dimensions that I've not yet understood. Colors that I've not yet seen. Do you imagine? Because the invitation is to look. To look because we're crafted for eternity. Do we find ourselves so quickly looking the here and now and settling with that and saying this seems good enough because actually as we look up and see that it suddenly brings hope but it also changes how we live so paul finishes off he says verse eight we're to live with all wisdom and understanding this word wisdom and understanding it's it's in between both our call for redemption and the mystery revealed of christ unifying everything And the commentators gotta grapple with this and say, well, is it do with the redemption or is it do with the mystery? And the truth is, it's actually about both. That God has gifted every single one of us that when we center our lives on him with wisdom and understanding, a wisdom and understanding that understands that we are now those that are redeemed, have life eternal rather than the sentence of death, but also those that are now privy to the greatest mystery ever, that God is gonna restore everything through Jesus. And that in it, in that wisdom of understanding those things, it then gives an understanding of how we're then to live. And how we live is we live out of the fact that we're those now that are characterized by life eternal. And we live out of the fact that we've been privy to understand where this planet's heading, that Jesus is gonna restore everything. So we get the most amazing privilege. The most amazing privilege where we get to pull in what is gonna be into the now. Where we get to imagine what it looks like when Jesus gets this planet how it's meant to be and actually start living that out now. N.T. Wright says this, in terms of this, in his book, Surprised by Hope, you've not read that, totally do that. Uh, what do you, so N.T. Wright says this, what you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. We're not in a departure lounge, waiting for Jesus to come back and busying ourselves with a few games until he returns. We have the great privilege of investing now in acts that we do, words that we speak that will carry on through eternity because we're part of painting the cover and the title page of chapters yet to be written. This changes how you and I live moment to moment. See, at this point, you can think, well, what does that look like? Well, let me tell you about a friend of mine. A friend of mine, she goes and finds out that lady across the road from her lives across the road is off work off work because she's struggling with life so my friend comes up to me and says i totally blew it i totally blew it with this lady i went no way what happened she says well i found out she's off work so i bought her a bunch of flowers i bought her a bunch of flowers and i went over and knocked on her door i knocked on her door i presented her with a bunch of flowers and she just burst into tears she couldn't take it. She couldn't believe that I'd go and show her kindness. And then I said, can I come in? And so she invited me and she made me a cup of tea. And I just listened to her. I listened to how she was doing. And I said, you know what? It won't always be like this. And she said, at the end of the conversation, the lady had stopped crying. And she said, I just feel peace and comfort. And she said, my friend, who's part of Oasis, said, and I said, would it be okay if I pray with you? And this lady said, it'd be great if you pray for me. I said, my friend said, oh, great, I'll be praying for you then. And left the house and closed the door. As she's walking across, she then gets to speak to me. She says, I blew it. I offered to pray for this lady, and I didn't pray for her there and then. I prayed for her afterwards. So I said, in what case and sense did you blow it? Because as far as I see it, you just invested Eternally into someone's life. First thing you did is you crossed the road. One day, there will be no division. One day, God will bring healing amongst the nations. That is expressed by literally just walking across the road in this day and knocking on the door. One day, God himself will wipe away every tear. That was expressed when you simply gave a bunch of flowers and gave a listening ear. One day, this person will see who Jesus is because they've tasted and seen of his kingdom to come through your life that's caused them to start to discover the God behind it and how good he is. So, so what? You didn't get to pray for him or her. You actually still pointed to God in the fact that you said you were going to. So often we belittle the acts that we do because we fail to see that what we're doing and we're involved in is building for eternity. You and I have been uniquely placed here in this planet now, understanding that we are crafted for eternity. We have such a limited moment of time here where we get to live In this bigger picture, understanding this moment is just a title page, just a cover of chapters yet to be written and yet to be understood that we get to pull in on now and reveal to others so they too can know the story that is yet to be written. My question then is this, do we know that we're crafted for eternity? Do you know that? That's like a yes or no. These are horrible questions, aren't they? You to ask open questions. It's much nicer, isn't it? Someone asks so quick, Well, it might be. It's a yes or no. If it's yes, we're going to come on to that moment. If it's no, I say, why don't you explore it then? Because surely if this is what's on offer, it's worth spending time exploring. If we do know that we're crafted for eternity, I'd say, does it shape how we live? Again, horrible question. Yes or no? The answer is No. Can I encourage us, please, let's start to fill our gaze with what is to come because it will change how we live now. If the answer is yes, it is, can I encourage us, let's keep doing it. Let's build with eternity on mind because it's how we're crafted. Can I pray for us and then we're gonna end. God, I thank you that what you're about is redeeming everything. That your desire is that this planet wouldn't stay how it is. That your desire that this universe wouldn't be how it is that your plan is to restore everything in and through Jesus. And I thank you, you start that process in us, with us. And I pray, God, would you cause us to live differently? Pray, would we live as those who have eternity in mind? And I pray, God, would you use us to reveal eternity to those around us of what it looks like, what it tastes like, in order they discover the God behind it. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.